0: I've always had smarts from the start My name is Jamie Loftus and this is the first episode of my year in Mensa a four-part podcast series about that time I joined Mensa as a joke and then nearly got kicked out of it after getting targeted by a secret Facebook group There's obviously more to it than that, but I've got to get you interested. Now I want to be clear that I am not doing this podcast series to strictly dunk on the Mensans uh, I will be dunking on them occasionally, but I'm more doing this to analyze how these sorts of groups came to be in the first place and sort of what they have evolved into, because it definitely did start as a dumb joke on my part, but uh, people, unfortunately, contain multitudes, awful, and so what I'm going to do is take you through the story via my experiences and then go back in time to trace the history of these organizations and ultimately figure out what the fucking point of any of it was in the first place and if you are listening from mensa right now uh hi maybe we've met before maybe we haven't um i hope you enjoy this and congratulations on doing well on that test once so before we unpack this shit show as a whole what is mensa I'm glad you asked, I have a prepared answer. Mensa is a high IQ organization founded in the UK in 1946 that requires that members take a test for admission or submit test scores with an IQ beginning at 132, then pay about $75 in member dues a year and hopefully participate in local activities. So, you know, it's it's a smart people club and people absolutely love to make fun of it. I used to love making fun of it and now it just makes me uh, tired to think about. But in short, uh, Mensa is the most popular high IQ club on the planet. So we're going to be skipping around in time. I'm going to go a little uh, memento on this one. So we're going to make a really fun turn the page noise. Listen to this noise I found online. Oh, so bear that in mind. All right, podcast is starting. Did the disclaimer at the top. Let's hit a little, a light music bed just to ease us in. Yeah, 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 I have a degree in radio production, and, and here I am using it for the first time. And so to be clear, all of the names in this story, even ones that it agreed to or previously went on the record, have been changed. We're just keeping it clean here. So Mensa has three purposes, which are outlined in its constitution. According to the Mensa website this year, they are, one, to identify and foster human intelligence for the benefit of humanity. Two, to encourage research into the nature, characteristics, and uses of intelligence. And three, to provide a stimulating intellectual and social environment for its members. So we're gonna jump around in time a little bit. So we're gonna start towards the end on July 4th, 2019, day one of the Mensa Annual Gathering. You do have to question the intelligence of anyone who holds a week-long conference in Arizona in July. But hey, this event was planned by some of the brightest minds in the world, I'm told. Jamie, right? I've been at the Mensa Annual Gathering in Phoenix, officially titled Mensa Rising, for all of five minutes. And one of the few faces I recognize from the Mostly Forgotten High IQ Society has already spotted me. It's 10.30 in the morning on the 4th of July, and my sweat from the walkover hasn't dried yet and I'm sort of slumping in the back of one of the Sheraton Grand's millions of beige conference rooms. There's a speaker at the front for the Aphrodisiac's Forbidden Food and Beverages talk, and he's going on about millennials in their avocado toast, and there's a room full of mensons who are just laughing it up. And as I said, joining this group was supposed to be a joke originally, but here I am, full year later, traveling seven hours by Greyhound to try and take it seriously. So who is the victim of the joke? But this guy and I start a conversation, and I whisper, yeah, and angle my body away because I'm sweaty and it's Arizona. He's quick to remind me of his name and standing as the second most blocked, reviled, and harassed member of an American Mensa Facebook group. The unmoderated, chaotic online landscape that has cursed and fascinated me for over a year. It's called Firehouse. And I, incidentally, am the number one block member, even though I have only posted there twice in 14 months. At an average Mensa annual gathering, about 2,000 members of American Mensa, which holds more than 50,000 members as of this recording, attend the organization's City of Choice. And I would estimate that about 400 of them in Phoenix know exactly who I am and have a strong opinion about me one way or the other. So the man I'm talking to, who I'm going to refer to as Two, is a self-described communist originally from Puerto Rico and is one of the few people in the Mensa-endorsed group that regularly posts about radical left politics, only to be excoriated by the majority conservative and far-right leanings in that community.
1: Hasn't been bad so far,
0: he says, saying that he met some of the far-right group members that he regularly spars with the night before. He shares an anecdote of an older white woman telling him and a black man that Donald Trump is a better speaker than Barack Obama, which, okay. And he sounds equally annoyed and entertained when he's telling me this.
1: You feeling okay about being here?
0: And while I'm improvising a lie about how I think this will actually be really good for me, there's a deep sense of dread just, like, adding another layer of sweat to my body because I am genuinely pretty nervous to be here. And it's not entirely paranoia. There was an internal poll of who was the most despised Menson in Firehouse, and I won by an absolute landslide. Although because I'm blocked by most of the people in the group, I couldn't witness the victory personally. And feeling nervous around a group of 2,000 random smart people does sound a little far-fetched, but there is already a low humming of safety concerns surrounding this event. The 2018 annual gathering in Indianapolis was a PR disaster ending with one arrest, allegations of harassment that had resulted in a man being banned from a part of the event space, and two members reporting that their drinks had been drugged after official bartenders had gone off duty. And believe me, the smarts know how to party, and the smarts fiercely protect their own. So to backtrack. A little over a year ago, I tested into the High IQ Mensa Society as an overpriced joke for a satirical column that I was writing. And the whole admittedly underthought idea was to just kind of make fun of what I thought then to be an outdated organization of people who had paid these steep dues to announce that they were smarter than 98% of the planet. So two jokey columns into this conceived project. The online trolls of Firehouse discovered my writing and just attacked from every angle. And for any woman who has, like, expressed an opinion online before, I received what I think most would consider the starter pack of, like, online harassment. So, middling insults about my appearance. Guessing whose dick I had sucked to get such and such job. Demands that I be removed from the group and was unfit to be there at all. And what most of Firehouse insists to this day was a death threat presented as a joke. Because the prevalent idea in this group, the argument then and the argument now, is that who you are online is not who you are in real life. So after posting a few of these comments to my Twitter last October without the names redacted, an action I have lived to regret in the preceding months, the satirical column was off. And it sort of had to be because the highbrow dorks I thought I was making fun of uh, didn't actually exist. When it comes down to it, Mensa is a group of thousands of people who did well on a test one time, and the rest is completely unpredictable. The people I've interacted with online and in real life this past year are protective, they're more right-leaning than I could have imagined, and they are highly effective organizers of the occasional online mob. Sometimes they're families who are trying to have something in common with each other, and sometimes they're older single people who are seeking community, and sometimes they're people from remote areas looking to just meet up with other smart people to relate with. They're sometimes impossibly kind, and other times alarmingly not so. A lot of them are misfits, and some of them are on the autism spectrum, and at least one lunged and accused me of being a spy in a Sheraton suite where a cardboard cutout of Donald Trump was looming in the background at one in the morning on the 4th of July, and at least one comforted me for an hour after that happened. The medicines contain fucking multitudes, and they're more complex than I ever gave them credit for. And for that, I would suffer. So after the organized blocking and harassment campaigns against me started last fall, I stopped making fun of the Mensons who did not exist and started reporting on the Mensons that did. Going to their annual conference called the Annual Gathering in Phoenix is what I hope will be my last stop and a chance to finally understand them as many members have requested I do instead of making fun of them, which is fair. And to be clear, I was not here to cause any sort of commotion or really rock the boat in any way uh Eric Andre already did that and he did it way funnier than I would have so I was truly just there I'll play you a thing from Eric Andre's episode anyways Hey, guys. I'm here for the convention. Well, I
1: have, a, I have a 400 IQ. I'm in super mensa. Okay. Well, let
0: me just go in this boardroom real quick. Wait, 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 wait. How high is the sky? Wait, 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 wait. I have questions. I have questions. Nice questions. Wait, wait, wait. And is that the best? Yes, uh, but it wasn't what I was trying to do here. So no, this is not an outsider story of a random millennial inserting themselves somewhere they don't belong and making fun of it. And trust me, I was alive in 2015. I've written those stories. I didn't spend $700 of my own money to come to Phoenix in July to tease 2,000 people that hate me. I was actually invited. The member of Firehouse who invited me insisted, as is the company line, that I needed to meet the Mensons in real life instead of judging them from their direct online death threats. And so, for one second, let's return to that conference room on the 4th of July. Two says he's going to go to a different talk after growing bored with the speaker regaling us on the horny properties of chocolate. I stay, and I push myself up against the wall, and as I'm writing a few things down on a pad of paper that has the Mensa logo just burning at the top, one of the favorite insults directed at me in Firehouse over the past year is just like pulsing through my head, and it goes like this. I am a Menson, the comment says, towards the end of a multi-paragraph taunt, so presumably not a total idiot. All right, I'm taking you back a full year to summer 2018 when I first decided to take the Mensa test. And I'm sorry if you're feeling time jump whiplash, but you know what? Keep up, smarty. You know Mensa means stupid lady in Spanish, right? Like crazy lady? This is my friend Michaela, and we're drunk on those hangover-in-a-bottle shandies they sell at CVS the night before I take the Mensa admission test. And at this time, I did not know that Mensa meant stupid lady in Spanish, uh, nor that I would be reminded of this once a week by someone or other for the next year. Because it didn't matter to me what Mensa meant, really. The point of what I was doing was to not get in and dump on the whole experience in 600 words or less for what I considered to be my birthright as a millennial woman, which is, of course, an underpaid personal experiences column on a middle and culture website. The concept of a pay-to-play high IQ society is ripe to be made fun of, and a lot of people have done it before. So as we kept drinking and watching King of the Hill, I built out my flawed vision of who I thought a Mensa member was. So I thought, all men for sure fiscally conservative ideologically liberal just solving puzzles and discussing the comedic merits of the big bang theory and this is all wrong except for the last part Uh, mensons love the big bang theory and they're not funny what i had not considered was that having sixty dollars and the willingness to wake up on a sunday to take the test at all made me a perfect candidate for this group My entire generation has been hardwired to excel at standardized tests at the expense of all else. And to be honest, I had been taking practice tests in secret uh, (laughs) because... because I'm very insecure, and because I wasn't having a lot of sex at this time. Besides, at this time, I thought that the concept of IQ tests had been proven over and over to be elitist pseudoscience designed to elevate a group who were good at multiple choice tests and deciding that makes them intellectually superior. Was this assumption as far off as my first picture of a Mensen was? Well, like so many parts of this story, that's a complicated question. There's rumblings of talk about the role of IQ tests throughout history and the high IQ societies that have sprung into occasional relevancy over the past hundred years or so. So it's kind of hard to say. And the Mensen I was picturing would probably tell you to look at the evidence and decide for yourself. The actual Mensen might just tell you what they think with little or no sourcing whatsoever, which is why I feel comfortable telling you that I think IQ testing is still More or less bullshit does more harm than it does good, yikes. But please, perceived Manson, decide for yourself. So before we can talk about the test, we have to talk about how and why the test exists. I know, I'm sorry, but we need to do it. We're interrupting this biased gonzo piece to lay out some facts. So there's a great podcast released as an offshoot of Radiolab called G a show which examines the perception of the idea of general intelligence. And I'm going to start by citing an episode called The Miseducation of Larry P, which is an in-depth look at how IQ tests have been used to racially discriminate beginning with its inception in the early 1900s and into now.
1: They were culturally specific to European Americans.
0: This is black psychologist Brandon Gamble, talking to Radiolab in the episode, and he goes on to explain that contemporary IQ tests were designed using only white children as the control group. Now, to be clear, Mensa does not use the conventional IQ test that the criminal justice system, the NFL, and American schools use, but the tenets of the test are identical. It asks the question, are you smarter than the average person, and what does that mean? Our Mensa heads use the rate, or RAIT, scale that measures the following categories. You can can ask me what these categories mean, but to me, they all kind of sound like the same thing. Crystallized intelligence. Fluid intelligence. Total intelligence. Quantitative intelligence total battery intelligence, that sounds like a car, and they have you take the Wonderlook Cognitive Ability Test. <laughs> and as far as I know, there is no precise way to translate your Mensa scores into a traditional IQ number score, but the Mensa website specifies that if a member is hoping to join based on a previously taken test, the lowest Binet IQ score accepted is 132. And re- <laughs> right, Binet, I should tell you who that is. The originator of the IQ tests upon which all of these societies are built is French psychologist Alfred Binet, who spent his life studying how children learn over time. I'm kidding with the French music, but I mean, what if I stuck to it? Maybe I will. And devised an exam that would theoretically reflect how the student was learning based on an average for their age. So if a six-year-old got a score of 100 on a Binet test, that would mean that a six-year-old was comprehending at the rate of Binet's average six-year-old and a higher or lower score would indicate proficiency on either side. However, and this is very important, Binet's IQ test was not designed to be exceptionalist in nature. And by exceptionalist in nature, I mean, you know, it wasn't invented for bragging rights or as a value judgment on a person at all. Which is something that virtually every high IQ society misses. It was not a test that was designed to say, this is how smart you are forever, and you should consider yourself better or worse. It was supposed to be a reflection of where your learning is at in a specific moment. And this distinction is something that Mensa and all societies like it have completely ignored. High IQ societies view intelligence as a permanent and never fluctuating state of being rather than just a reflection of how you took a test at one point in your life, the scores of which could reflect a circumstance or a relationship to the style and content of a single test. And Binet himself was adamant on the fact that a score on his test was not an enduring statement on what a person's intelligence was. In 1909, Binet read a book called And get ready for an incredible French accent. Les ideas modernes sur enfants. And he said the following. Some recent philosophers seem to have given their moral approval to these deplorable verdicts that affirm that the intelligence of an individual is a fixed quantity, a quantity that cannot be augmented. We must protest and react against this brutal pessimism. We must try to demonstrate that it is founded on nothing. So that's Binet's take. You can get an IQ score, but it's not a statement on who you are forever. It's a statement on where you're at right now. And his work in stating that intelligence was not fixed was more or less completely undone by a British psychologist named Charles Spearman, who noticed that if someone performed well in one section of a Binet test, they tended to do well in the other sections as well. And Spearman ended up describing this observation as general intelligence. Under Spearman's logic, the amount of general intelligence every person has is a fixed, unchangeable amount. And not coincidentally, Charles Spearman was a eugenicist. And this fixation on eugenics, which if you've managed to not have to interact with the idea, it is a proven false pseudoscience concept that states that the shape of the skull indicates your intelligence. Charles Spearman believed this strongly, as did Mensa co-founder Roland Barrel, as do A lot of racist people on the internet. Unfortunately, Spearman started to introduce this idea of general intelligence and the idea that IQ is fixed right after Binet dies. So Spearman's work in the 1910s led to Binet's IQ test to be used for purposes that were the complete opposite of its intent. And because Spearman just happened to start spouting this bullshit right after Binet died, Binet was not able to call him from wherever dead people go to correct it. The eugenics movement that Spearman believed in would use a low IQ score under the idea of intelligence being fixed as an excuse to separate, discriminate against, and even euthanize those that the test considered inferior. And there's many examples of this happening in America. In the episode of the Radiolab G series called UNFIT, which discusses the role of euthanization based on arbitrary and frequently biased IQ tests, as well as the American Buck v. Bell Supreme Court decision, which stated that the compulsory sterilization of the, quote, intellectually disabled for the protection and health of the state, unquote, was not unconstitutional. That is to say, in certain cases, the IQ test could kill you. Mensa wasn't founded until the 1940s, but its co-founder, Roland Barrel, was an Australian expatriate whose interests included the pseudoscience of phrenology a variant of which is used as part of the logic that incels use today to incite violence against women, and was rehashed in the controversial 1994 book The Bell Curve to discredit the intelligence of black people. This since-disproved study was focused around, because these people are obsessed with skulls, the shape of a person's skull indicating things about them, like intelligence and potential or the lack thereof. Roland Barrel would later complain that he was disappointed that people who qualified for Mensa would sometimes come from humble homes because he thought that the premise of the group was, quote, an aristocracy of the intellect, unquote. In The Miseducation of Larry P., the reporters expand on the still-valid law that black children cannot be given an IQ test in the state of California, a decision that was based around a case in which a young black student was deemed, quote, educably, mentally retarded, unquote, after scoring poorly on an IQ test. This action, which was taken without notifying the parents, resulted in five black families whose children had been given similar diagnoses, filing a class action lawsuit against their school district. And ultimately, they effectively argued that the IQ tests of the time were demonstrably biased against their children, and Judge Robert Peckham ruled in the family's favor, saying this. We must recognize at the outset that the history of the IQ test and
1: of special education classes built on IQ testing is not the history of neutral scientific discoveries translated into educational reform.
0: It is a history of racial prejudice, of social Darwinism, and of the use of the scientific, quote, mystique to legitimate such prejudices. So the result of this ruling has a fairly complicated historical legacy. Peckham did not enforce the discontinuation of IQ testing in California for discriminatory separation of students. It was merely the discontinuation of giving IQ tests to black children specifically. Black students are still not allowed to take the tests in California schools, and as tests continue to be updated to cater to more than just white students of the 1970s, this has kind of created a second prejudice that continues to separate students from each other by race. The prejudice roots of IQ-based evaluation was given another talking point in that 1994 book, The Bell Curve, which was written by Charles Murray and Richard Herrnstein. The bell curve is uncritical of IQ tests themselves, claiming that the test has never in its history discriminated across any social, economic, or racial divides, and presupposes that intelligence, contrary to everything the inventor of the IQ test, Alfred Binet, ever said, is fixed, and attempts to explore why certain racial and class groups did better or worse on the test. Quote,
1: It seems highly likely to us that both genes and environment have something to do with racial differences.
0: The Bell Curve is a very controversial book that I personally have absolutely no respect for and it rears its head every several years since its publication. And whispers of this book still permeate Mensa to this day. A few references are made to it in the time that I spend in Phoenix, whether it be in praise of a discussion of intelligence or as, quote, disgusting racist bullshit, unquote, during a casual meal at a Scottish Hooters restaurant. There has been a talk at a MENSA annual gathering on the topic of the bell curve sometime in the past five years from a member that firehouse members describe as an unabashed white supremacist, which causes yet another wave of drama at the annual event. Now, MENSA itself was founded shortly after World War II ended in 1946 in Oxford, England, by English barrister and biochemist Lancelot Lionel Ware and the aforementioned Australian elitist blowhard Roland Barrel. These two guys just met on a train by chance. They'd both recently become interested in IQ tests, and they were enthusiastic about founding a society for fellow smarts. And like many people who meet on public transportation, Mensa history indicates that Lancelot Lionel Ware quickly grew annoyed with Roland Barrel's bullshit after the organization was formed, and only rejoined and participated in Mensa when his co-founder died. (laughs) Unlike its European counterpart, American Mensa has a far more left-leaning origin story. It was started in Brooklyn in 1960 by Peter and Inez Sturgeon, a 40-something-year-old married couple closely aligned with the Socialist Workers' Party. Mensa International, since its founding, has ballooned to include over 100,000 members, most of which live in America and the UK. And that's mostly who we'll be talking about. So it's impossible to separate any high IQ society from the history of the test itself. But that doesn't mean that IQ testing is entirely bad or sociologically completely useless. Radiolabs G explores a few different examples of IQ testing proving beneficial, including its function in curbing the lead industry during the Reagan era, when a doctor effectively argued that putting lead in public water would lower the general IQ of the population and affect the workforce. And interestingly, this argument relies on Benea's assertion that IQ is not fixed and can be influenced by external factors. So hey, that's something. But this does not get Mensa off the hook. Unfortunately, Mensa does not have a history of using the test in this way. To get into Mensa, you get a maximum of two chances to formally test in for your entire life. One option is the traditional standardized test option that I took. And the other is called the culture fair option that is considered a better option for those that don't speak english as a first language or quote have language processing problems such as dyslexia unquote that information comes from mensa uk if both of these options don't yield qualifying scores in the top two percent of the population you don't get to take the test again in one year or 10 years or 50 years in high iq societies Spearman's hate-enabling assumption that intelligence is fixed and unchangeable is the logic used. And conveniently, there is no conceivable way under this model that intelligence could be wasted. So with this in mind, we're going back to summer 2018. I'm taking the test, for real this time. No more sidetrack. I show up hungover at a college in Pasadena on the morning of my Mensa admissions test, and I am ready to fail. The test, which is taken by sections in all of those confusing-sounding rate categories, takes about two hours to take, and it's administered by a proctor who splits his time between engineering and repairing large orchestral organs, which is pretty cool. I do tease this engineer organ intellectual guy a fair amount in what I thought was going to be a one-off column about taking a standardized test that to me closely resembled the SATs. And we even like maintain a friendly email correspondence for a little while after the test is over. But he strikes me at first as the typical smart dorky menzin I've been going on about to my friend the night before. He's kind of a nerd, and he's a proud nerd. And hell if I can knock him for knowing how to fix an orchestral organ at the Disney Concert Hall. That's, fuck me. I mean, the only other people taking the test this day, a local CrossFit law student and his much friendlier girlfriend, uh, unfortunately I didn't find out what she did but because he was talking too much to let her get a word in edgewise, but... All three of us listen to the Proctor patiently between sections that are on math, logic, vocabulary, and verbal intelligence. And while we're supposed to be focusing on the test, the Proctor occasionally mentions what he feels are the benefits of the Menson lifestyle. He tells us about game nights we can attend if we get in how fun local meetup dinners are should we be smart enough to attend them and this is like shortly after hereditary came out and he just like spoiled the entire movie and if you've seen that movie that's a really that's really mean to spoil that movie but anyways we're reminded that we only have this one chance to take this test in our one human life. And if we fail this test, we can take the culture fair test. And if we fail that test, we are doomed to resume our lives not going to game nights and dinners with this specific test proctor. So the stakes are high. It's very important to him and he lets us know. And it is a little funny, sorry. In my column at the time after I took the test, I wrote Quote, maybe you don't feel non-Mensans deserve you, or maybe the opposite. That's a manic episode you set yourself up to fail. It's a waste of money that could end, hopefully, in community. Unquote. Quoting myself. Awesome. So if the history of the IQ test and the controversial application of fixed intelligence is any indication, I don't think the fact that I got into Mensa makes me even remotely smarter than other people. It does make me remotely had $60, woke up on time, and had taken a lot of standardized tests in the early 2000s. I firmly believe that you, who have taken the time to listen to this, could get into Mensa. My stupidest ex could get into Mensa, and and he is dumb. My con artist uncle could get into Mensa, and I just as firmly believe that all three of us being in that group wouldn't make us better than anyone. It would only make us a pair of new balances poorer. Because I think all it takes to get into a group like this is a little bit of predisposed aptitude for a standardized test and a little bit of ego. And conversely, if you historically don't test well, which many intelligent people don't, you probably won't do well in this test. It's almost as if it's a flawed metric. So I take the test and the email comes two weeks later while I'm in the dressing room of a Forever 21 trying on something that looks bad. And it says this. Congratulations,
1: your Mensa admissions testing has been scored and based on the percentile rank, you qualify for admission into Mensa.
0: I would tell you how my scores translate to a formal IQ test, but as I said, the intelligence index scores that you're given are only used for Mensa admissions. I got nothing for you. And when I get this email, I'm like laughing my mostly exposed ass off. And I do feel a small tinge of pride that I remind myself to feel ashamed about later. And I write my next column, which was called, good news, they let dumb sluts into Mensa now. And I wrote that as a a follow-up to my first piece, which was about taking the test. And in this piece. I'm joking about infiltrating the local Los Angeles branch, but I think it's pretty clear that I don't actually have an intention to because at this point I've already spent half of my freelance paycheck just to take the test and enroll in the group to get a membership card that I use uh, to take stupid Instagram pictures with to this day. So continuing in Mensa for me makes no financial sense, not even for those cool smart people game nights that I'd heard so much about. And the hundred or so people that usually read my column seem to enjoy it. A handful of mentons reach out to say it made them laugh and to say welcome. And two people tell me about a closed Facebook group that might be of interest to me. And yes, it is that one. The first is my test proctor, the organ fixing engineer. And he says, quote,
1: The articles were very funny, albeit occasionally mean spirited.
0: He also thanks me for changing his name in my column. This is sort of unrelated, but this was written in response to an email I'd written him asking if I could see what an orchestral organ repair looked like in person, to which he said no. So if anyone is wondering who the dork in this email thread is, it is me. And then another Mensa member contacts me about Firehouse with a far sterner warning, and he says, quote,
1: I am writing you because Mensa is not just silly fun, board games, hug dots, don't ask, and happy nerds. There's also a nasty alt-right undercurrent that you can find in Mensa Facebook groups. They consist mainly of Trump supporters, and if you join, you will be amazed at what supposedly intelligent people believe.
0: Okay. So I search for the group on Facebook and request to join. And in keeping with the inclusive spirit of Mensa, I also need to send them my membership number to qualify for entry into the group. His message continues. Quote...
1: These groups are no moderation, which is the code of angry white people for I want to say racist things without a moderator calling me a racist. In any case, if you are looking to blow people's minds with a behind the scenes look at Mensa, then that might be a good place to start.
0: And okay, I know that sounds like a lot, but once Firehouse grants me access, the preconceived Mensan I had been making fun of this whole time completely implodes. There are some scattered liberal ideas posted in Firehouse. But the vast majority are far-right-leaning news sources, pixelated political memes, dirty inside jokes, and something called the boob thread. I tell a few of my friends about the group, but I hold off on writing about it, thinking back to what that Mensen had mentioned just before warning me of the group's wrath. He said, quote,
1: If and when you make fun of Mensa, please don't forget that a lot of these people were bullied because they were smart and they finally found a club where they belong and where everybody is a little awkward or at least understands them.
0: And that's completely fair. But does that apply to a far-right closed Facebook group? I'm a little lost on this, so I go back to the group and I read its description and it says, quote, this group, like Mensa, is very diverse and can range from fluffy kittens to items that will make you wish you could bleach your brain. If someone upsets you or posts things not to your liking, report it to Facebook and or block this person the administrators will not take any actions to edit or delete posts, unquote. So here I am, a sweet young lady in an unmoderated online forum. This lack of moderation is the same logic that, while I do think it is interesting in the abstract, has given way to websites like 4chan, 8chan, and other dark corners of Reddit that function as venues for hate speech, which make some members of the group extremely vulnerable. But what really threw me about the Firehouse group was the logo in the top right corner of the page. Firehouse, I saw, was a group that was owned by the official American Mensa page and was ostensibly endorsed and encouraged by it. So a Facebook group of undercover bigots is, unfortunately, nothing new. But their encouragement by what is supposed to be the smartest organization in the country was not something that I had seen before. What academic institution, in their right mind, would proudly endorse a group that clearly states that no one is safe and that hate speech would not be deleted unless the historically faulty Facebook reporting system deemed it so? And this, back in July of 2018, is something that I think I could write about. But even so, I was nervous because when you're a comedian online, you encounter some pretty brutal comment sections. I didn't know if I wanted to put myself in the comment section line of fire. Because I think that there is an exact number of times you can be called an ugly cunt before you impulsively get a terrible haircut and switch your meds. And I had already passed this point a long time ago. But I'm still interested, and I talked to a few of my friends to see if this idea, an official organizational endorsement of a far-leaning, unmoderated group was something they'd ever come across. And whether it was a story worth pursuing even in spite of whatever backlash might happen. But while I was thinking about this, Man, that firehouse group that they do not wait for you to be ready and make a rational decision. And I never have time to reach a conclusion. They find me first and they are not happy. All right, that was episode one of My Ear in Mensa. Thank you so much to all of my... Wonderful friends who contributed voice work to this. They are Miles Gray, Maggie Mayfish, Iffy Wadiwe, Caitlin Durante, Danny Fernandez, and Isaac Taylor. And thank you to Sadie Dupree, who wrote the incredible theme song, and to all those Mensons out there. See you in episode two, gang.